And we're live for another episode of Athletic Insights. We're joined here by former teammate, friend of mine, Ryan Hector. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Zach. How you doing? Well, I had a long day of work. I'm excited that we're uh, relaxing now and able to have this conversation. What's going on with you? What have you been up to? Uh, nothing much. I've been through work too. Um, got finally got the opportunity to relax. And I'm glad to join you on this podcast, Ryan. It's been a long time that we haven't spoken. I know. It's, it's, it's really cool that I get to do these uh, podcasts now because I get to reach out to you know, a homie here and a homie there every once in a while. And it's nice to touch base. What are you, what are you doing now for work? Are you coaching? So, yeah, I'm coaching at a, a Canadian football prep school called uh, Football North. And what, we're, what I'm doing is uh, I'm doing the athlete development part. So I'm with the junior varsity team. And uh, along with my, my good friend, uh, Coach Jared uh, Machilanko, he had a season um, playing for the CFL. And uh, we, we uh, pretty much develop all these athletes to, you know, go to Division One, Division Two, or Division Three, no matter the case may be, in, um, in the United States so that they can have a better opportunity at achieving their dream. That's awesome. Sounds very similar to what I'm doing. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the listeners here are familiar with Football North because we had a campus in Ottawa for about three years, but it unfortunately closed last year. Um, oh, nice. But anyways... This might be a good time to, uh, Hector, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience and just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what drove you to playing football and specifically what brought you to uh, football at Bishops? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I'm a Montreal native. Uh, I was born in Montreal, um, NDG. Um, And right now, currently, my hometown is Brampton, Ontario. So um, when I was growing up, I was... uh, I was a very active student, um, active like person in general, and football was the only only leeway for me to you know get all my energy out. So, at the young age of thirteen years old, um, I was playing football, basketball, rugby, soccer, like just a lot of a lot of sports. And um, my mom told me uh, I need to pick one because um, you know how extracurricular sports is a uh, it's not. It's not off. Uh, it's not free. So, I picked. I picked football, and um, spent my pretty much most of my time dedicating um, dedicating everything to football. So, um, I came to Bishop's University as a walk on, and um, spent five years there, and. Um, my East West year, I, I participated in uh, 2014. And then um, I got Defensive Player of the Year 2015 to 2016. And then um, I was two-time MVP from 2015 to 2017. So um, being a walk-on, you know, you don't really get the opportunity as much as um, the ones that were actually scouted or recruited. So I had to work my tail off to um, get to a position where I could get noticed and even, you know, just to just to share my share my story of being um, a Montreal, a Montreal black guy and coming to Ontario and then going back home to um, to Quebec to um, explore more of my university career. So what like. Looking back at it now, starting as a walk-on, which, by the way, I started on as a walk-on, too, at St. FX, 
And then going through the years, you developed into a leader and an East West and a, honestly, just like a really elite university athlete. So like, first of all, what were you doing um, with your time to, to have that much progress? And just like, how does it feel to look back and kind of be like, oh, wow, like I made that happen for myself? It's uh, it's humbling because um, you never when you're in the trenches, you don't really realize how much hard work you really put into your craft. Um, I was one of those I was one of those athletes where I'd be the first one in the gym at 5 a.m. And then um, when it's closing time, I'm the last one to leave. And uh, most of the time, like I was spending my time um, stretching, uh, working out, making sure that I, I get in class. I'm the first one seated in the class. And I always had that mentality of always being first. Um, and when you when you develop that mentality it's it's very you have to have a lot of discipline and i i was i was one of the athletes that were um i pride myself on discipline and it showed on the football field too uh even even when i was um going through like first year and second year i also actually redshirted too so uh the humbling experience because i thought i was the best of the best and <laughs> I got redshirted. So, you know, it just put more drive into um, trying to achieve like the most that I could at university. And when you say um, like competing with the best of the best, um, what's the jump been like since you've left university trying to still pursue professional football and, and finally making a, like cracking that like plateau? Um, the difference was, uh, I I never stopped. Uh, Fact. Yeah, I never stopped. I never stopped. (laughs) Um, I was going up against um, Alexander Fox. I was going up against Steven Adekulu. And those guys were top notch. Like, those were A-class professional athletes in my eyes. And they, they, um, Steven Adekulu, he he had a long career in the CFL as well. And I always pride myself on how how could I defend these guys and how could I be the best person that I could be, right? Yeah. And um, when I when I went to the CFL draft in 2016, I would say, yeah, I went into the draft and then I didn't get drafted. And once I realized that I didn't get drafted or I didn't hear any phone calls, I, that just put another motor in my back because um, I felt that. Uh, my journey and um, my experience is not going to go down without being heard. So um, I just continued playing football, man. Um, and then I played uh, two years semi-pro for the GTA All-Stars. And then that's when um, I finally got a finally got a call from a professional team out in Sweden called um, uh, Uppsala 86ers. And that's, that was my first shot. And it was, it was a great opportunity. And, um, you you really learn you really learn different things when you get to that like level and that platform you 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 have to really understand that you're the person that people are going to be looking up to and it's a big role some people um fold and some people strive and i feel like at this point in my career and this point in my life i'm ready to uh strive and make sure all the young kids that are looking for this opportunity to become a professional, they get it. And I'm willing to help them um, no matter what it takes. 
hundred percent. It's just, it's like the little things like you were saying to me last week. And it's like guys like you and me, it's coming back to the communities that raised us and giving back to what we've learned from our school and our athletics and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I just really want to backtrack quickly. You were talking about, um, out of Kulu and, and Fox at Bishops and it just kind of gave me a little deja vu. My (laughs) my very first one-on-one rep at Bishops was against you and you were talking shit. (laughs) And now it all just came back to me like, wow, that was like years ago, man. I mean, that's the stuff you, you, that sticks with you. Like not the touchdowns and the, the parties and et cetera. Just it's those little things that's, that stick out. So that's crazy. Absolutely. And when, even, even when, um, even when you came in, man, and, uh, we are going up against each other, I was, I was in that leadership role where I wanted to at least get the fullest potential out of my, my, my teammates, because, um, in, while I was playing, we, we weren't a successful program, but at the end of the day, um, we were brothers, you know, Mm -hmm. like you, when we go into battle or when I went into battle, I had that feeling of, okay, whoever's beside me or whoever's putting on these, these purple, these purple jerseys and whoever's willing to put on the helmet, we're going to go to war. And I always had that feeling of encouraging others to have that same mentality because not everybody has it, you know? Mm -hmm. And once we, once we step on that field, it's, it's all or nothing. And um, even even with um, right now, I'll just like fast forward it a little bit. I I have a, a key term that says um, all for one and one for all. And that's how I treated my Bishop Bishop's University career. And um, it really molded me into a, a leader that could, you know, help others reach their fullest potential. And that's what we have to do when we come back into these communities. We have to give some type of inspiration that says you should not give up and if you do give up there's going to be somebody there to guide you along the way and i always felt that i was that person that will you know help to the best of my ability yeah you absolutely were um and when i say you were talking crap i don't mean like in oh a yeah negative yeah way. like yeah you were getting after me it was awesome it, oh yeah, because I'm I'm a I'm a DV at heart. You know? Another thing that <laughs> I'm still a DV. Yeah, I, I learned from the best from Dr. <laughs> I remember. Were you at rookie camp that year, taking a look? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I remember. I was going to Havi, our receivers coach. I was like, Co- "Coach, are we live? Like, this is day one. I don't know what we're doing." <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, I think we're live." And I don't know if the defense didn't know or something. And I'm not even going to say his name, but I remember yeah. coming downhill and and crack blocking a good good D end and. I think that's Ooh. that little play, like, honest to God, I think that's what made the coaches say, okay, let's get this. Oh, yeah. So to the athletes listening to this, especially the football players, the whole point there wasn't to toot my own horn. My point was what's going to get you on the field as a young athlete is special teams and fundamentals. And I just want to, I just want to get your perspective on that, Hector. Those are the most crucial attributes that you need as a, as a football player. Because as a Canadian, um, we need to understand that it's very, it's, it's very systematic, but you want to get your foot in the door. And when you get your foot in the door, you, you show that through special teams, you, could, you have a high motor and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make a play for the team. Because football is the ultimate team sport. And... A lot of a lot of young guys they don't understand that they just want to go for the glorious positions, but 
playing offense and defense, yeah, it's good. But special teams is so important because you could make a play. And when you make that play, you could change the whole atmosphere of the game. Mm-hmm. And at a young age, I didn't, even I didn't understand that myself because I was just like, I'm good enough to play. I'm good enough to play. But there's, there's levels to football. Right. You have to adjust. You have to um, look at film. You have to be coachable. You have to uh, make sure that you're sustaining your health. Um, stretching often, mm-hmm. um, and first year first year athletes they don't they don't really know that because when you're when you're a first year player or when you're going into um, Division One or whatnot, you have to understand the system and the philosophy of whoever the coach may be. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a sponge, and as a young athlete, you got to develop your mental capacity of training. And being a team player. Absolutely. One thing I have for you here is I want to, what's your philosophy on coaching and mentoring? Because for such a young, oh, I guess we're the same age roughly, but um, yeah, like you're, you're really, you seem to like, you know, your why. So why don't we do this? Why don't you try to tell me what your purpose is and then your philosophy on coaching and mentoring? Oh, absolutely. That's a good question. Um, my why, um, so I'll bring I'll bring us back to uh when I was uh 8 years old in Montreal. Um when I was 8 years old, uh I have I have a, a godfather that passed away. God bless the dead. Um his name is Donovan Reed. Uh, he was a big football fan and he watched the Philadelphia Eagles every Sunday and he would like teach me the game and he would make it fun for me and he would uh he would try to make the best of the of our situation because um we i grew up in uh, project housing and um it's like um uh impoverished area in in montreal at the time and all we had was uh faith so my why is having faith in god and um having faith with god it led me to be passionate for other people and for other people to accomplish whatever they want in life. Because sometimes when life, it goes so fast, like um, even before the pandemic, I was working as a a PSW and um, I would just work, 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 work. And it was nonstop. So my why, my why is to, you know, um, be there for people because when you're in your deepest darkest spots in life sometimes there's nobody to be there for you Mm -hmm. and for me god was there so my why is to use myself as a vessel for god to show how passionate and what sports could do by helping people and that's the main objective for me to help and i think that's awesome i'm not personally an overly religious person but yeah. my why is ultimately the same as yours. It's just be who you needed when you were growing up. Absolutely. Um, we might not have the same spiritual belief system, but like the, the end result is the same. So I think that's like what's really important there. Um, Absolutely. Because um, I have when I when I finished when I finished university, um, I, I developed a, a mentorship program, which is like eight months. And uh, we I just go over I just go over things about life, you know. 
because sometimes sometimes when life is going fast we forget about the little things and like having just even crucial conversations conversations with other people or even communicating how you feel uh even as athletes i feel that we don't speak enough and mm-hmm. when we're not speaking enough it's like we're sheltering and we're we're keeping things internal right and if we keep things internal then other people aren't going to understand our our journey so um it, i th- i always felt like it was important for you know us to express ourselves in a in a way where it's not uh, aggressive or it's not seen as oh you're just being an athlete no we're actually humans too and um and leaders we, man athletes absolutely. are leaders like the biggest thing i mean the shut up and dribble thing to me is is hilarious because not, absolutely. not necessarily me and you but athletes in general dictate right. where we move in the future when did the world shut down when rudy gobert and the nba got coronavirus not when yeah. everybody was getting it in america when it was affecting sports so as far as i'm concerned sports runs the economy in america which means it's running a lot more than just that that is a fact because without i, I feel like without sports um these these smaller communities or these uh these communities that need help the most help they get it by the athletes because the athletes are actually going in their their space and helping, providing help. Um, a lot of a lot of people don't understand the importance of social service being a service to somebody else. And I feel that athletes right now, like they're using their voices greatly because um, they're they're saying they're not going to they're not going to play unless uh, the issues are resolved. And I feel like that's the, that's the best way to go because now it gives the world an opportunity to understand the other perspective of an athlete. Do you want to, um, do you want to go into some of that stuff now? Talk about your experience in just the, like the black lives matter movement um, where it is oh, yeah. currently. Absolutely. Um, I was, I was involved in, t- in a, in a March, um, uh, recently for the Peel district. And that was my, that was my first protest. And it was, it was very eye opening to see, um, so many people that have the same mindset of enough is enough. Yeah. And when I say enough is enough, it's the fact that there's disadvantages in a system where, um, black and indigenous groups are not very recommended in certain positions and that that needs to change um i was ex- i experienced i'll tell you i'll tell you one thing that happened um when I, while i was in school um mm-hmm. i won't say like the 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 course or whatever but yeah um it was in some it was in the summer and um i got i got um prejudice um remarks on being black and having dreadlocks and um the when we were in the conversation everybody it just went over everybody's head to the point where just like, Oh, that's normalized. And I really felt that that was the issue because, um, one of the comments were, uh, that dreads dreadlocks are dirty and that's not, that's not really true because we, we actually wash our hair at least three, three times a week because <laughs> our hair is so thick. So the discrimination with hair and how potent that is in society because even women women of color 
or or men they get judged by their hair because it's something that is not normal in society and in the corporate in the corporate world you don't see many that are are uh, of color in high positions or they have dreadlocks so um with the black lives matter movement that that goes deep to my heart because i feel that we do matter and it doesn't have to take every year for us to at least say that we matter i feel that um with um social darwinism um we get labeled as um animals and we get de- we get labeled as a uh, deviant people in society which is not the case um we are actually humans too and i say actually humans to the point that athletes we should not be seen as just an object mm-hmm. and that's often the case with uh black athletes we just get seen for our black bodies which is i would say yeah we we are athletic we are strong we are uh top caliber but we're also human as well mm-hmm. and there's also top caliber white athletes well yeah that that's are, that's the that big disconnect there Sorry to cut yeah. you off. Like that's such a huge like look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey in the NFL. Right. Like right. And and there are coaches still in the NFL who are scared of a white running back. Yeah. Like, they, like sorry, go ahead. No, continue. That's you're you're absolutely right. I just I my biggest issue with it, and it's 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 not my place and they're they're difficult conversations to have as a white man, but like one of my biggest issues with it is like you've said, first of all, it's been long overdue for too long. It's 2020 guys. It's not yep. like 1750. Like we are very civilized. We are domesticated. We are intelligent. We respect exactly. each other. So when, when the media puts panic and fear and uh, honestly just propaganda all out and you know, the average person educated or not educated is supposed to drift through it all and come to an opinion obviously the line is going to be blurred and I'm so convinced that the system is doing this on purpose to keep people angry and confused and just racist. Like, what what do you think? Uh, That's, that's a great point because um, propaganda is, is huge in Western society. Um, We have to, we have to really understand and also do our due diligence in um, doing our own research. So, um, there's often philosophers or geologists or naturalists uh, from the 1800s that uh, university students are always studying. And if we're always studying these philosophers, um, such as uh, Charles um, Darwin, Darwin, yeah. Darwin um, I only say his name because um, he's like he's he's seen in sociology so much. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're getting we're getting put into a situation where it's normalized behavior right and with the with the entertainment industry um when something is always in your face you subconsciously always think about it and in our life right now we're always in front of a screen and i don't know if you read the book 1984 but there's some similarities there and we have to just try in our generation to break a cycle where we could at least come together and form opinions because even our conversation now, some people, some people don't want to have it because it's maybe uncomfortable or it's not something normal. 
we have to voice our opinions. And I feel like our generation is doing a great job of doing that because racism, it's, it's such a, it's such a old, old term. And we need to at least de like, uh, I don't the word for it. Um, regress. What do you, yeah. Regress. Yeah. Regress because we're, we're, we're so, we're, we're actually alike. Like every race, every nation, we are alike, but it always comes to the fact of our skin tone and the caste system that happens um, in in corporate America, and with corporate America being like that, it's very tough. Mm-hmm. It's very tough. What uh, like what differences do you do you notice and feel in Canada? So like, what has your personal experience growing up been like? Um, so my experience, um, I've, I've been through overt and, uh, covert racism. So, um, I'm always, I'm always in my community and trying to, uh, help people. Even, even when I was growing up, um, even when I was in high school, uh, uh, shout out to St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, I have two, I had two mentors, uh, from that school and they were white. And one was in sports and one was in leadership. And um, yeah, and it, it was a great experience. Um, in in sports, uh, it was my basketball coach. And he he just really guided me into a direction where I never thought I would be. And even my leadership, uh, my leadership um, teacher, uh, we went to a conference and um, it was my first ever conference or first ever time being in a hotel. And it was it was eye opening because I felt that we all want the best for somebody. And they saw that in me. And it was great because I was I was a kid where it was hard to express my emotions and it was hard to have conversations because of immaturity or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. but um the the experiences that i had was that like say for example i'll be walking walking um i'll be walking on the street and it's the typical it's the typical uh cross the road type action or clutch your clutch your purse or walk in the opposite direction and <laughs> there was this one time in uh sweden where uh there was somebody that seen me and they actually like ran away bro they ran like a four three (laughs) (laughs) and i was like what is going on like is this still going on like around the world and it was it was it was shocking because like we should we should be at a point where we could be accepting of other colors you know yeah um racism it's just it's it's like a it's like an old recorder, man. Like it's it just keeps replaying over and over and over again, and there's no there's no sense of togetherness. And I'm gonna I'm my my goal is to at least bridge the gap because being through that experience is very traumatic. And I know the younger generation, like being the intern in like um the technology era mm-hmm. like they see it all the time like it's being filmed like all these all this bull crap is getting filmed so if they're constantly seeing that then they must internally have some 
uh, stigma or their mental health might be seen as um, as psych- psychotic because you're 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 trying to survive every day. Right. You know? Well, so, the, the thing in society, man, is like we have to we can only go as fast as the lowest common denominator. And right. So like we're simple example, speed limit, 100 miles an hour. Yeah. The issue where our philosophy as human beings and especially in the, the governments where it fails is we it's not. OK, so let me try this again. You can drive 100 miles an hour and even go 120 and not get pulled over. Yeah. But. It's it's the opposite analogy I'm trying to go for with racism. We're, because yeah. we don't have the luxury of being, you know, twenty percent racist. Yeah. Or sorry, sorry, sorry. That's the wrong word. Not the luxury, but what I'm trying to say is we don't have the room for that anymore. Mm-hmm. And in society, because we still had our grandparents who was, I mean, openly, openly like bigots. Yeah. And then the next generation, where I mean, this doesn't reflect my beliefs but i almost feel like um the generation below uh, above us they almost use it as like a, a humor like a sense of humor and mm-hmm. then our generation we didn't really think those jokes were funny and there's that kind of that divide between the millennials and the gen x yeah um, but i guess like the point i'm trying to say is um and i've said it the last three three four podcasts is like we're we don't have the ability to pull these people forward anymore because they've been passed down generation to generation to generation that, yeah. that, that, that this is a fact that, you know, a white father telling his white son that, you know, this is the rules that we live by because this is what my granddaddy told my father. You yeah. Know what I mean? it's true. And, and we don't have room for that anymore. And, and I mean, like whose responsibility is this to educate them? It's not the schools cause they don't do it. It's not the government cause they, they hide it and cover it up and use it to benefit and be financially profitable. Yep. So it, it falls on us. And then the issue with that is, the media is owned by five people. Five people own yeah. almost every piece of media in North America. Like, I mean, I don't want to sound paranoid, but since I've started having these discussions on, on the podcast, my podcast is working a lot slower and getting a lot less views. Yeah. And, I, and after talking to Jerome about that, he says, you know what, Zach? Welcome to our life. You're going to start having a lot more technical difficulties than you did before. And it's, it, that's, a, that's a great point because... Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are like you that really want to see the change and one one thing that I um, I think that would be a great start it would be the education system because uh, again I've I've been I've been working in classrooms where uh, you see uh, racism or you see aggressive behavior and. Um, I was I was the one to uh, de-escalate it because like that's crisis prevention, you know. Right. And um, a lot of the times in school, there's no there's no discussion about uh, Black history, or if there is a discussion in Black history, it's only from one month, which is not enough because and it's still it goes, whitewashed. Absolutely, and it it goes from it goes from the 1700s where. There's been inventors that doesn't get their flowers or even um, to bring it to the 20, 20th century, we still don't get our flowers. Uh, from Marcus Garvey, um, he, he never really got his flowers in, in, in the education system. So when we're developing the young minds where they're at least from the ages of six to um, going to high school, 
they're they are such a sponge where you could tell them anything and they will believe it so we have to understand that we have to protect the minds of these young people because if they get the wrong thing infiltrated in their mind they're going to believe that for the rest of their life and it's going to be harder for them to adjust in a system where is unbalanced mm-hmm. so and- let's do, let's do this hector you're speaking to primarily young white privileged athletes on this podcast so what okay. what do you want to disclose to them what what do you want your take home message here to be that they can they know that you're vetted the things coming out of your mouth are coming from the heart with yeah. no with no uh, no agenda, filter agenda. no filter no agenda absolutely um the thing that i would like to tell um this type of audience is Imagine, imagine if you're going on the football field or if you're going on to any type of sporting event and you have an opposite color that is fighting with you. Every down, every second, every minute of the game, you're battling with this person that is not looking like you. Imagine being outside in the community you have to fight that same fight with those type of people because on the football field, you're doing that. So why should that not translate into your daily life? We go into practice together. We go into um, ice baths <laughs> together. <laughs> like it's, it's something that we practice religiously to become better people for our community. So if we take away the sports, let's just do the same thing. Let's just have the same philosophy. We are fighting the same battle for equality, for justice, for the betterment of society. We need to do that 24 hours instead of picking and choosing where you wanna give your energy. So my to end on that note, um, I feel that Love is love, and everybody wants love. Everybody wants to feel that belonging, and there's no disadvantage for for blacks or for whites when we bleed the same blood. So mm. I just I just feel that we should stay together no matter the circumstance. And the last thing I want to add to that to the young to the young listeners is just challenge the status quo. Absolutely. Ask questions. Like I've had a lot of athletes who, who trust me and they've literally said, I'm just going to do whatever you say. And that's it. And I say, well, well, no, ask questions. If something doesn't sound right. Yeah. Like, don't be a, be a sponge, but be a critical thinker too. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's all I have to add there. Hector, do you have anything else before we sign off? Um, I would like to say just, just keep doing what you're doing because you're, you're really making you're really making your voice heard, man. And I've watched all your podcasts and you're doing a great job. And not a lot of not a lot of athletes or student athletes understand what you're doing. And they should be really grateful for the the platform that you at least get to express yourself and you talk to other people about these situations because it's it's relevant and it's important. And you're man, I'm proud of you, man. I'm, I'm proud, proud of you too, dog. I appreciate you. You keep doing the same thing in Toronto and who knows, in a couple of years, we'll have a facility together maybe. Oh yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch and I'd love to have you back on again. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate the platform. And we're out.
All right.